0: Now, the earliest hint of what would come to be known as the church's doctrine of the Trinity, which we focus on this particular Sunday every year, comes in one of Paul's letters, where he blesses his readers at the end of the letter with these words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of of the holy spirit. You recognize these words, I surely hope, because mo- more Sundays than not that is the blessing that we share together as we leave on Sunday morning. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That comes first in in the blessing. You know one of those times that that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ takes center stage in worship every Sunday. We just had that moment in worship a moment ago here. The worship leader stands there at the font. The water has been poured earlier in the service at the very beginning to remind us of what it is that gathers us together, the call of God, the claim of God. And that font is where so many key liturgical moments happen every Sunday here. This Sunday, Mary Sellers led us in telling the truth, right, about ourselves, about the world in which we live. And no doubt part of that truth is the way that we can ignore God's word, set up other idolatrous objects of worship, lie or cheat or steal or otherwise fail to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's part of the truth we tell. Surely we tell it all. We tell it right there, out in the open, in unison, and then quietly we share those more personal sins, confessing them to God. Now, I've had occasion... Uh, people will come out the back of the service or they'll email me later in the week after the service and say, Pastor, I did not say part of that prayer of confession last Sunday because I didn't do that that particular week. (laughs) Forgetting, of course, one of the key elements of our confession, which is we confess not just for ourselves, but on behalf of the world, right? Right? of which we are a part, those systems of injustice and violence from which we benefit, we are a part of humanity, a humanity about whom Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one. And all of those sins we surely should confess. And I want to say to the person who shares that with me, One of those sins is the sin of believing that you do not sin. The sin of thinking we are not sinners in need of forgiveness, that we do not participate in that worldwide system about which Paul wrote, there is none righteous, no, not one. So there we all are at the font, all of us. Confessing our sins at the waters of baptism. And then we hear those words of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Words that remind us yet again that our sins do not separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That In the name of Christ we are all forgiven. Such important words to hear right there at the outset of our worship. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely this is the rock-bottom reason that we are here, because of that grace. And then we get invited to stand up and move around, right? We visit our neighbors in the pews, we extend mercy to them. The peace of Christ, which is the forgiveness of sins and the pathway to reconciliation. And that act is very concrete. I suppose my, my questioner on any given Sunday could say, well, I don't know why I had to shake um, her hand. I didn't do anything to her and she didn't do anything to me. I hardly know her. But that's not what it's about. We really are shaking hands or hugging or, or crossing our hands over our hearts or doing the peace sign to real people in the pew next to us, but this is also a deeply symbolic act that we do in worship, a sign of a a larger calling to be agents of peace and reconciliation in all of our relationships. That peace should go out with us into the world. In every encounter we have, we are bathed in grace the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's when things in worship take a pretty sharp liturgical turn. We read the law, the, the Ten Commandments, and at first it, it feels like an odd choice. I have to be honest with you, When I first came to this congregation, this was something I inherited and it had been part of this church for a long, long time, but it had never been part of any other church I knew anywhere. And at first it kind of was odd to me and I didn't know what to think about it, but there is one rule that new pastors should always follow. You don't change things for at least a year, maybe longer, and especially things in worship. So I left it alone and came to love and appreciate this moment in worship. But I, I can tell, and I, I will sympathize with those who may find it a little jarring, but after experiencing all of this grace and reconciliation and forgiveness, why would we turn then to what is popularly thought of as a list of thou shalt nots? It's almost as if, I know Hugh didn't do it, but he could have, you know, he could have led us with the shaking of the finger. Thou shalt not. But we read them because of the one who gave them to us. And we read them at that moment in worship for a particular reason. We read the law, not because it is a drudgery, not because it is a list designed to make life less fun, to make us feel guilty, and rather, as Eugenia Gamble says, the commandments are words of love. If confession and forgiveness and peace reveal to us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the reading of the law reveals the love of God. The commandments are a gift to us. Not you must do all of these things and, and then I will forgive you, but I forgive you. And here is this gift I give to you. A way of living that is truly life. God declares right there at the beginning the basis for all the words, all the commandments. I am the Lord your God. And I am recalls the name of God given to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. And who is this I am? I am your God. We know that this is the God who is love because God announces that God is the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This God is the one who has rescued us. This God is the one who has liberated us from oppression when God gives the law to Moses the people have escaped Egypt but they live in deep uncertainty and there in the wilderness there will be many temptations to turn around but these 10 words are meant to order their life together to remind them that they are a rescued people that they are a free people The commandments, therefore, are the exact opposite of bondage. They are the fruit of liberation. Why? Because they come from the love of God. As Gamble says, nothing about the ten words will be ultimately transformative until we understand that they begin with love, they end with love, they are framed by love. I remember sitting in my office many years ago now, I mentioned this briefly to the children, with a young adult who was struggling with addiction. And I had agreed with his treatment uh, service to be a religious conversation partner with him. Uh, His therapist reached out to call me because the therapist said to me, many of the young man's problems came from poor self-worth and his poor self-worth he could trace directly to religion. It turns out his parents, who were very devout in their own beliefs, had thrown him out of the house when he turned 18. And that was the culmination of years of believing that he was a disappointment to his parents and even more so a disappointment to God. And it took a long time and lots of conversation and tears and some anger even for this young man to be able to hear clearly that God was a God of love and that God was his God no matter what and that God loved him and claimed him in the waters of baptism. In fact, we talked about baptism so often it became a joke between us that it seemed like we had nothing else to talk about but the waters of baptism, He had never heard that much talk about baptism and his own baptism. And it took a long time for him to let go of the belief that the only person who hated him more than he hated himself was God. I thought of him when I read that question from Eugenia Gamble. She said, when presented with God in Christ reaching into the muck and mess of human life and offering love and freedom, how is it that we so often choose to focus on God as fierce and disappointed with us instead? Why, she asks. Indeed, it's impossible to parse out that first commandment's prohibition of having other gods before me from the description of God as, I am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the bonds of slavery. I am the God who loves you. I am the God who is, as John will say later, is love. Don't go chasing after any other gods, including the ones that you project out of your own pain or that others project onto you as vindictive or hateful or murderous. I am the Lord your God. It is this language of love as the core identity of the God of the commandments that eventually led the early church to speak of God as Trinity. We come to believe in God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not because we deduce it rationally, because it is anything but rational, not become because of some philosophical musings, but because of the great love revealed in Jesus Christ that causes us to think about God in this way. For far too long, I tried to work out the Trinity. This is one of the disadvantages of going to seminary or divinity school. I tried to work out the trinity like an algebra problem i could come up with children's sermons and i did where i held up the image of a triangle to the one little boy always on this particular sunday in that little church on the first sunday of summer vacation the one little boy little billy who would come up and i would say see here god is three and one just like this triangle billy we can imagine that this side is god the father and And this side is God the Son, and and down here at the base is God the Holy Spirit. And yet it's still just one triangle, Billy. And I see the little three-year-old kind of drifting away, and I pull out my next prop, a glass of water. What is this, Billy? Water. Good, Billy, really good. Having regained his attention, I explain, you know, water can be three different things. You've seen it. Here it is. It's liquid, right? Billy, yes. And if you put this in the freezer, it becomes what? Ice, yes. And if you put it on the stove and boil it, what will it become? Steam. I said, Billy, we just solved millennia of divine mystery in one children's sermon. You get a cookie and you can go on now to children's worship. Absurd, right? The Trinity cannot be reduced to a math problem or a science project or a philosophical parlor game. The mystery of the love that prompted us to think about God in this way is too deep and profound for that. What little Billy needs to know or better yet to experience is the deep love that greets him there at the font that says, you are my beloved child, and from that heart of love and belonging, he needs to know that the one who loves him longs to receive his love in return, heart, soul, mind, strength, and calls him to love his neighbors near and far as he loves himself. These words of love we call the Ten Commandments, they are that pathway. And it's a path of life and integrity and wholeness for little Billy and for all of us. But here's the thing. Billy cannot do it alone. He's just three years old. And you and I, we cannot either, no matter how old we are, we cannot walk this path alone. One of the reasons we confess our sins is together Sunday after Sunday is the recognition that we are all of us in need of God's grace and one of the reasons we pass Christ's peace to one another is the acknowledgement that we need each other we need what the bible in the greek calls koinonia fellowship togetherness community a community that comes from the mutual love of God and neighbor. We need the advocate that Jesus said would come, the Holy Spirit, who would bind us all together and who would build us into the church. Because little Billy will grow up and he will come to know the joys and sorrows that attend every life. He will need us. And we will need him who knows if he might end up in some pastor's office somewhere at a crossroads where his pain threatens to overwhelm him. He may need to be reminded of his baptism, of the grace of Christ that calls him to the way of the ten words of love and that binds him into the fellowship, the family of the Holy Spirit. The young man I was able to work with all those years ago, eventually, as I mentioned to the children, did move back to Colorado. And he continued the long road of recovery from his addictions and reconciliation with his family. And several months after he moved back out there, I got a package from him, a framed photo of a stream running down a rocky Colorado mountainside. He said, as I mentioned that the photo reminded him of his baptism and we had that shared joke that we were always talking about baptism that it reminded him of his baptism which always brought him back to the center of who he is in the eyes of God which are he reminded me the only eyes that ultimately matter he thought it might do the same for me and it does every day When I come into my office. It's a daily reminder. Of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let us all leave this place. Having no other God. Than this one. Whose love is more than enough. For the living of these days. Amen.